into this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Elisa, Elisa Matheson uh, from, uh, from Minnesota. Uh, she's an adoptive mum and she's also the uh, CEO and founder of, <laughs> that's right, CEO and founder of uh, The Power of Story. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be talking we're going to be talking about story here and uh, this is all going to be hugely powerful because you know you you, you called the the the, the, uh, the business that you set up the power of story stories have incredible power Absolutely. Um, and you you talk about the power of known stories to heal mm. so i'm really looking forward to exploring this Welcome to the show. Excellent. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So the power of story. Why did you come up with that? Why did you call? Yeah. So I have been in the world of adoption and foster care for about 12 years, both as a parent, I was a foster mom for four years. I'm an adoptive mom and as a professional. And a lot of my time as a professional was working with youth who were aging out of care. And a lot of times, you know, I would start working with a young person um, who had been in care for a very long time and they really didn't understand their history. They didn't have any pictures of themselves as young children. You know, one young man I, I interviewed said his, there's very little evidence that he even grew up. He doesn't have any pictures from his childhood. There's nobody gathering those stories and that information and photos and medical information. And while a lot of different places have some mechanisms to do that, I found in my professional and personal worlds that the story and all of the things that go along with that were not prioritized, whether that was lack of time or lack of education, it was always kind of relegated to the end of the process. We'll talk about that when there's an adoption pending, we'll talk about that when it's required, instead of being seen as central to young people to understand their history. Um, And so really just kind of coming back to say, how do I kind of be a part of the solution I want to see in the world? How do you be the change you want to see? And it was, how do we help that information and photos and stories and narrative really get into the hands of young people, whether or not they're adopted for all kids who have spent time in out-of-home placement, it's just so important. And so really focusing on the power of story in all that we do. Yeah. The bit, fascinating, the bit that really jumped out for me, Elisa, was the, the, the poignant comment that you made about that one, one young man saying mm-hmm. there was no evidence that he grew up. So uh, the, the word that came to my mind, my mind when uh, I heard you say that was floundering. Do you have that word in the States? Mm-hmm. Floundering. So it's like floundering, we're, um, we're, uh, we're rudderless. We don't have a, a, a firm foundation in the world. We don't, we don't know where we, we don't know where we stand. Absolutely. We, we have nothing to, we have nothing to stand on. Mm. And as soon as I say that, I, I think, well, how would that feel to, uh, how, how would somebody that hasn't been, so like an adoptive parent mm. that hasn't been through that themselves, how, how would they even get a handle on what that, um, what that felt like? Mm. And, as soon as I started thinking about that, I was thinking about, you know, it's like having the rug pulled from underneath our feet. Mm-hmm. Right? So imagine we know how that feels. Something happens and we feel like the rug's being moved and uh, pulled from underneath our feet. But right. it, what you're talking about, to continue with that same metaphor, mm-hmm. is somebody that never had a rug in the first place. Right, right. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes by Beth O'Malley, who's kind of the, the, you know, the founder of this idea of life books. So getting information into kids' hands and she's an adoptee herself. And she says, imagine a picture of someone that gets cut off at the knees. 
that's what it feels like to not have or to discuss your history. Adoptees, and I would expand it to foster youth, but adoptees end up with a floating or numb sensation with no past or roots. And many believe that somehow they are responsible for the separation from their birth family. And just that idea of being cut off at the knees and not, not having access to that information and not being able to talk about it openly with even your family sometimes. Mm. It, it's, in, it's incredible for me. Uh, I, I just have my own view of the world, right? Mm. And it, like we, we all have just our own view of the world and, and, and our understanding of other people's view of the world is very variable, you know? Um, what never ceases to amaze me in the conversations that I have is how different experiences are. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel like that. I had no, I had, I had personally, I had no story whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any story until six years ago mm-hmm. and I'm 55 now. So mm-hmm. for the first 49 years, not having a story uh, didn't, didn't feel like that for me. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that really it's, it's, a, it's a continuum. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like a graded, in this world, we're looking for simplicity and we're looking for black and white mm. and we're looking for black and white, left and right. And, and, and this seems to me like it's a, it's, a, it's a continuum. And I know from, as a, as a mass simplification, I've heard this from two or three different people actually, is that um, female adoptees tend to worry, tend to um, be a little bit more interested in their story than males, as a a mass generalization. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the chances are, if you're, well, if if you're listening to this, your your fellow adoptive parents are listening to this, those kids, your kids are going to be somewhere on that continuum of um, uh, of that need to, to, to know their story or their security in their story. And uh, what pops into my head straight away is that they may be at different points. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a adopted parent, if you've got adopted two kids, you might be seeing differences in, in, in their um, desire, their mm-hmm. hunger, their curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just kind of freewheeling with my take on this, but yeah. I am literally only bringing my own experience and the experiences that I've had from this, from this conversation. So, Well, I think our job really as adoptive parents is to keep that door open and to have the information when there's questions asked or to like, yeah, open that door. Like I know, you know, from us talking previously, you know, when you found out a few years ago that that Teddy was from your mom, like it really impacted you. And, you know, last time we talked, I was like, well, what would it have meant if you would have, you know, been told as a two-year-old, like, Hey, your mom gave this to you. Like maybe it would have made your experience different and maybe wouldn't have had this, you know, yeah. cut off of the beef. We'll yeah. I, I, I think, I don't know when you asked me that question last time, I can't remember what I said other than who's to know. Right. I, like, um, so I can, uh, one of the clear things that stood out uh, from what you just said was being prepared. Mm. And I think there's a, there's a huge difference between what you said in the, in the op- in, in your opening, mm-hmm. in, in your opening words, which was, uh, this isn't prioritized mm-hmm. in in the system, mm-hmm. in the adoption process. Story isn't prioritized, and it, it's kind of put on the back burner. It's not even mm-hmm. put on the back burner. It, it's completely sidelined. Right. And what what you're talking about now is actually being proactive mm-hmm. and gathering the story mm-hmm. so that you can ask the questions mm-hmm. as and when they arise. So this is about being truly proactive rather than rather than waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, right. uh, so 
Yeah, which to to me sounds like it's like it's it, it like it's really important to be um, to be able to share as much as as much as we can with our kids yeah. when they ask. It's like being at a store, right? Or, you know, when you when you call somebody on there when you're at a call center mm-hmm. and you want to know something and, and they don't know, I have, you know, I'll have to go away and find out, right? right. It's it, it, it's it's kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thing is if you're not able to answer, or the more the more able, the more questions you are to uh, able to answer, um, I have the information, then the the more open your child knows mm-hmm. you're going to be. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I think there's different hats and different kind of lenses I look at this work with too. Like I think as, you know, kind of when you're doing a life history or life book as a professional, I think it's your job to provide as much information as you possibly can because you won't be there 15 years from now when that young person is asking those questions and they're grown and they're processing it with their adoptive parents or on their own. But as parents, I, you know, you're there throughout that process. And so it's how do you answer the questions along the way? And the questions and the curiosity is going to be different for a five-year-old and different for a 10-year-old and different for a 15-year-old. But as adoptive parents, often for foster care, like you weren't there during the foster care process. So if they say, who did I live with when I was two? If the worker didn't do their job, you probably won't know. And so it's, it's different hats and different layers on the continuum to have the information available to parents and then have parents be knowledgeable and able to help their kids process as they have questions. Because I think, like you said, there is a continuum of curiosity. Some people are like, you know, I really haven't really thought about it that much, or it's not the right time for me to wonder about my origin story. And some people ask about it every single day. Like I have a 10 year old at home and every single day we're talking about her birth family. And she has questions or questions change over time. And so I always, when I'm talking to adoptive parents, especially kind of talk about how do you answer, you know, especially around the tougher topics around a young person's life. How do you answer truthfully and honestly that five-year-old's question without oversharing, like sharing really traumatic details of their story or undersharing or glossing over the truth? Um, I think an example I like to use is if someone was conceived by assault. How do you say the truth to a five-year-old if they're asking about their mommy and their daddy? The truth might not be your mommy and daddy loved each other so much. Okay. So, but the truth for that five-year-old might be, well, they didn't, they didn't know each other. And that's probably all that five-year-old's going to need to know. That's all they're going to want to know. And, but you as an adult are like, okay, that's a kernel of truth. And then at 10 and they're asking more questions, you can be like, well, actually that they didn't even meet until the day you were conceived. Mom, the 10 year old's going to say that's really weird, but okay, they're going to roll with that and move on. And then when they're 12 and they're asking about consent and they're learning about consent and they're learning that sex can happen outside of a relationship. It can happen outside of love. Be like, actually, that's, that's your story. Remember how I said they had never met? Remember how I said they had never met that day? You know, you were conceived through an assault, like there wasn't consent given. And that's part of your story. How different is that child going to understand their history than finding their file at 19 or 40 and saying, oh, I was conceived, you know, by assault and and how do you process that when you're that what you've been told all along is either we don't know, which if your parents knew that wasn't true, or they loved each other so much and were in a relationship, which wasn't true. Not only do you have to deal with the truth of the history, you have to deal with the, the fact that you've been told half truths or lies up until that point. And so it's how do we empower adoptive parents to help their kids understand it 
truth along the way in age appropriate ways as their curiosity happens, as they ask questions um, to meet the kids where they're at. So then you can be like, we've always shared the truth little bit at a time. Because I think adoptive parents either like vomit and share everything they know when kids are really little, or they say, we'll give you your file when you're 18. And I think there's a world of possibility in between there for parents to learn how to share kernels as they're asked questions over time. Okay. So there seems to be two phases there. Um, the kind of the information gathering phase mm -hmm. and then and then the sharing phase. Yep. Um, can you can you give us uh, any pointers? You've largely been talking about the sharing phase. Mm -hmm. uh, can you give us any pointers on the gathering mm -hmm. phase? I, I really, I have no clue yeah. a, a, about that, what that looks like at all. Yeah, so I think if you're a worker, there's different guidelines that as parents. Um, as a worker, you know, I think it's just prioritizing it and asking the questions. And as a worker, you have the ability to just talk to birth mom to talk to birth dad, to talk to aunties and grandmas and former foster parents and share the story and get the information about this young person and share and document it well. As an adoptive parent, there is definitely still that information gathering phase. And I always say like, you just have to take off the hat of parent when you're gathering information and when you're talking with your kids and kind of put on a hat of a historian to try to understand their history as it happened. Because as parents, we come to this work wanting to protect our kids. We want to keep them safe. We want to protect them. Um, but yet we have to also gather their story and maintain it for them so that when they're old enough to go back, they have a starting place instead of starting from scratch. And so looking at history as a historian. So if they have older kids who came into their home at an older age, asking them what memories they have or, you know, what, what is their experience and really gathering all that information uh, to share back with the kiddo as they grow. Because our, our memories and our understanding of things are different when we're little and when we're older. Okay. So when you're saying about putting the historian hat on, are you really talking about um, a, a degree of uh, becoming less emotionally attached mm -hmm. to it? So right. it's, 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 it's perhaps uh, uh, being being more factual and less mm -hmm. emotional. Well, I think, yeah, it. yep. Because I think you have to be. Because I think sometimes we, um, you know, our kid will say, I wish I wasn't adopted or things were better in my former family. And as an adoptive parent, of course, that stings and we need to process that in therapy and with our people. But as a historian, you can say at six, like you really felt like you didn't want to be adopted. And this is what you said. And um, this is why you can talk to, you know, birth mom, if you have an open adoption or auntie and say, what do you remember about the time before they came into care? You can ask the kid, you can ask grandma, and you can write down every version of that without saying which one's the truth, which one's this. You can have a multiple, multiple sources instead of trying to, to narrow it down to that one single story. You know, I think you said earlier, like the danger of simplification we do that sometimes when a, someone's story is complex. We want to say, okay, this is the story because it came from a professional's pen, but every single person is going to have a different experience. And we can share all of that in our historian information gathering phase of doing this work so that we have the answers when our kids start asking those questions. Yeah, I mean, you you talked about uh, writing it down, and I, I I as soon as as soon as you said that, I wrote write it down, and mm -hmm. maybe there's three phases here. There's there's um, the, there's gathering the information, there's there's keeping it, you know, there's mm -hmm. recording the information, then the sharing, 
and and then and something else popped into you talked about writing it down the, another thing that popped into my head then um was you know like we've all got these smartphones mm. uh, and would it be a bit freaky to actually record a conversation mm. with would it be you know a, re, a record a conversation with somebody for for uh, posterity and i guess if they're okay with it you know yeah. if you're you're okay with that and they're okay with it then um that that might be another way of because uh, uh, a, a way of, of, of uh, you know like so we've got a multimedia um, mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. you know you mentioned earlier on about pictures you know in the old days you mm-hmm. know it was pictures hard copies yeah. polaroids or prints or whatever mm-hmm. now they're all on our, 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 our on our phone so printing them out for yeah. printing them out for posterity mm-hmm. maybe some recordings and um yeah I, there's a guy in talked to a guy in one of the early episodes of the podcast here in in the uk uh and they were actually using they were using a, an online system Mm. for kids to write keep their own stories mm. Mm. Um, because some kids are more you know that like in my day it was scrapbooks do you remember those you know like you had a scrap mm-hmm. um, so in, but in these days obviously kids more happier having some sort of cloud storage and and this was all obviously ultra secure um that's part of it uh so is there anything else that you could share in times of in terms of that in those two phases in terms of gathering and, and, and recording for an adoptive parent listening, thinking, yeah, but how do I do it? What, what do I do? Right. And more practical yeah. pointers. Yep. As an adoptive parent, I think asking for all the records at the time of placement and finalization, kind of that, that being proactive piece is finding out as much as you can um, and saving it in a secure way as possible. Um, And then as your child grows, you know, Google, you can often find a lot of good information on different individuals that might be part of your child's story, or if there was news stories around the time when your child was coming into care, gathering all of that and just kind of squirreling it all away. But I think, you know, using multimedia, like you said, recordings or videos, all of that has so much impact for, you know, to be able to say, not only did my birth mom say this, but this is her recording of her saying this and being able to hear her voice and the tone and the inflections, all of that would be so powerful. And so, yeah, say, Hey, can I record this so I can share this with them someday? I think is fantastic. One thing I know that I did when my child was little, you know, we, me and her birth mom did a lot of emailing back and forth. And so I asked her if she wanted to write a letter that I would give to her child when she was older. And we still have visits. We still have openness with her, but I was actually this week actually able to give my 10 year old this letter that her birth mom had written when she was two. And, you know, I gave it to her and she's like, oh, how long have you had this? And I was like, well, she wrote it when you were two, but I think, you know, you read really well now and you're thinking about her. And so you can have this and you, it's like a physical, tangible thing that she could have. And she put it up on her bulletin board at home and just to be able to hear her, her mom's words saying, hey, I, I love you. And I think about you and I want what's best for you is such a powerful thing. So inviting the birth family to get involved if they are open to that is huge. And those things that might be harder to share about their story, say, how do you want me to talk to kiddo about X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. Every situation is different, um, but really taking the long view, I think, which sometimes it's hard to do when you're, it's caught up in the excitement of, you know, being a family and the day-to-day parenting is trying to think forward to say, what is um, this, this now child going to want to know when they're 18, 19, 40, 50, and how can I be proactive about getting that information and then sharing it with them as they're yes. curious, as they want to know that information. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 but it's very hard to be proactive when you don't know 
mm. you, you, you don't know what to do. So these kind of useful mm -hmm. insights and tips um, are hopefully a catalyst because some of the things that we've been saying may may feel right to the mm. listener, and some of them uh, some of them may feel not feel as right. So it's I guess it's uh, it's a picking picking mix. Mm -hmm. it, it's using the things that are right for for you and right for your child or, or, or children. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I, as soon as you said video, I thought, okay, what's the difference between video and um, and audio? Because uh, I, I consume, I listen to a lot of stuff, right? I listen to mm. a lot of podcasts, I listen to a lot of audio books. I watch a bit of telly, but I don't watch YouTube. Do you know mm. what I mean? I don't, mm. I, I love people, but I'm less visual than most mm. people. Most right. people, I think, um, I'm kind of more auditory, less people are, mm -hmm. are, are, are auditory. So I was, as soon as you said that, I was thinking, yeah, so what would we get out of video that we wouldn't get out of audio would be that body the, the mm -hmm. language, mm -hmm. and the facial expressions. Yeah. You know, you've got, you know, you've got the, you've got the words on a letter, you've got the words on an audio, you've got the words and the tone and the tone are, like I don't know, I've heard some stats about this, but tone is actually far. It's 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 more important um, how we say things mm. than the words we say, right? It's something, and then you've got the on top of that on video, you've got you've got the 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 spec, the facial mm -hmm. the facial um, the warmth mm. facial facial features. Uh, so, and I'm kind of glad that you like the multimedia approach, and well. That's clearly that's what you uh, you're recommending. Yeah. Um, so, if we were to, shifting now to the to the sharing side, so mm -hmm. you picked up on a, 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 a you know to pick up on a few things that you've said. Yeah. Uh, I guess does the sensitivity piece, the how, um, uh, how we share this information uh, with our uh, kids or kiddos, as you say in the states. Um, and then there's the age age appropriateness of what we share, which is, I guess, about the when. Mm. Um, and but I think the first one for me goes back to that what we said, what we're talking about at the start, which is the why. The why we're sharing this mm. is. We're trying to bring, well, why are we sharing it other than uh, other than building our relationship, other than with our child, other, other than being open with them. It's all about that sense of self. So anyway, you're the expert on this. So let me take that back to you. So just why is it that we're doing all this stuff? Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite kind of examples of kind of visual for why do we share is this idea of, you know, in nature, whenever there's a wound, you know, you've got kind of an indent in your skin from the wound. And, you know, people talk about adoption, like the primal wound. This is a, a piece that needs healing, you know, in one way or another. It is, it's not an easy story. Families are not not together because everything was working great. They're, they're not together because something wasn't working. And so if you have a wound, kind of our sometimes first instinct is just to cover it up and protect it and put this hard lid over it and not talk about it. But we know how wounds heal is from the bottom up. You know, new, new skin cells come, blood returns to the area, and it slowly fills up and then becomes just like normal skin again, you know, with a scar, but it's not this indentation forever. And that sharing of information on a little by little basis is what helps fill that in, whether adoptive parents or young people themselves are like, nope, I'm not going to talk about it. We're not going to go there. We know, you know, healing is going to take longer and it's not going to be healthy. Just like if you got a wound and you put, you know, plastic over it, 
not just a Band-Aid that can breathe and heal from the inside, but something hard cover, it's not going to be able to heal in the same way. And so why we talk about it is so that you don't have at 40 have to deal with all of the questions and all the, you know, how does this work into my now life and where is all this at? You can do it a little bit at a time together. Um, and also just to yeah increase that sense of self and identity and to fill in those gaps. There's a lot of really great research out of the UK actually about just the importance of any young person knowing the story stories and history of their family. Um, it's a it's called Do, um, Do You Know study by Robin Fitch. And it's looking at adolescents outside of the foster and adoption system. And those who know the stories of their parents and grandparents do better on really every measure that they looked at. They have lower depression, lower anxiety. They have higher school competence, higher social competence, because it's that rooting, that grounding, you know, the idea of knowing who you are and knowing where you came from, even outside of adoption and foster care is such an important thing for us to have. Um, and all the more for young people who, you know, can't, can't go back one generation. A lot of times, you know, it's kind of the, all the rage right now to do genealogy work and DNA work. And I'm, you know, part, you know, Irish. So I'm going to go and I'm going to look at all my history in Ireland and my grandfather's grandfather, grandfather. And that's great. And it's fantastic. And so many people have found healing and curiosity and interest in that. But so many of our foster youth and adoptees can't even go back one generation. And so there's this like wall. And so it's like the same kind of people who would be interested in genealogy. Like you can't even I can't even look at my parents, much less my great great grandparents who came from Ireland, you know, and there's this, yeah, the grounding and the foundation. Um, and that, yeah, just taking some of the secrecy away from adoption, you know, now that we're in the age of DNA and genetics and search and openness. There's really no such thing currently, I believe, as a closed adoption. If someone wants to find pe their people, they can. And so as a parent, I've always said, I want to do that with my kid. I don't want them to feel like they have to wait until I pass away or die because they're protecting me. I want to do that with them because I'm their parent and I want to be part of their life and their birth story and foster care history and all of that is part of them. And I feel like that's being a parent is getting in the muck and mire and doing it together and not waiting till they're young adults or waiting until I'm no longer around to do it on their own. Yeah. Wow, powerful stuff. Um, and you talked about secrets and shock and shame and all that. So for me, I think, you know, me finding out about the teddy bear was was a bit of a, mm. a you know, the, it was a, a little bit of a, it was a surprise. Mm. I thought it was, then I thought it was curious. Mm. And then a couple of months later, there was some, some anger came, came up um, for this. So like this, we don't, as, as a human race, we don't do very well mm. when secrets come out, come out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the why uh, mm -hmm. uh, put put very uh, very beautifully, Elisa, and uh, and in a very compelling and rings true, really mm -hmm. rings true for me. And I, uh, so I, I, so I talked about sensitivity, which is the mm -hmm. how, mm -hmm. age appropriateness, which is the when, mm -hmm. um, and and then we've gone on to the why and. Those were really just threads to have mm -hmm. the next part of. I was just trying to pull some threads out of what you said yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, to 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 give us talk something to talk talk around for the next um, part of the podcast. So, is are there anything else? I've got the why, the why which we've covered, the when and the how. Is there anything? Is there any other kind of big heading that pops into your head that uh, that, that as an expert you know about mm -hmm. and a doctor parent you know about? 
um, right. rather than me because I'm just on the outside doing right. my best to. <laughs> well, I think one of the most powerful analogies that I share in, you know, the training that we do for adoptive and foster parents is I think sometimes, you know, the story of our children's history is like treated like it's Pandora's box. Like you can't peek in it or else all this stuff is just going to like come out and be everywhere and the kid's going to be having a hard time and you're going to be having a hard time. And so it's like, it's just not opened. And I like to think of kids' history, whether it's in foster care or adoption, as like an open toy box in the middle of the room. And if you have an open toy box in the middle of the room, like I did for many, many years, parenting little kids and being a foster parent and having kids come and go, you know, it was always there. It was open. There were toys in it. I never had a lid on it because I didn't want their little fingers to get, you know, stuck when they were investigating it. And I like the analogy of our kids' story being like that open toy box. If we start talking about it when they're kids, when they're tiny, itty-bitty babies, you know, itty-bitty babies are in your arms. They're not checking out their toy box, but they see it. They know it's there. You can say, oh, there's some lovely toys in there. We're going to play with those when you're older. Great. Baby's six months old, starting to sit up. They're sitting on the floor and you might take out a toy or two and give it to them, something indestructible that they can chew on. You might give it to them, but then it goes back in the toy box. Six months later, when they're, you know, starting to walk around and toddle, they might walk over to the edge of the toy box and look at one or two of the toys on top. And then when they're two, they're going to go and they're going to look at the top and they're going to throw them all out behind them. You're going to just have toys thrown everywhere. But that's not a one-time thing. It's every day being open to the conversation. And as they take out a proverbial toy and look at it, you can say, oh yeah, that's a picture of your birth mom. Great, goes back in the box. Tomorrow they might have a different question. They might have the same one again. And so an open toy box in the middle of a room, it's never scary. It's never too much because it's on their time. It's as they explore it. And it's, it's not even intimidating because the things at the bottom, the things that are harder to talk about, aren't going to come out of the toy box until they're ready to come out of the toy box. And so I like to use that analogy with adoptive parents, like we have to stop treating our kids' history like it's this like loaded thing that's going to explode and then we're going to have to deal with it. Why not be proactive and say, okay, you're sitting on the floor, you're not even moving yet. You're just learning about your history. And so let's take out a picture of birth mom and give it to you and say, hey, here she is. Do you have any questions? And then it goes back in. And as they pull things out, you pull things out. It's really just investigating it with them instead of it being a big, scary, like sit down, we're going to talk about this tonight kind of thing. It's never, uh, okay, now we need to have the adoption conversation. Now we need to have this conversation about this thing that happened in your past. It's just always part of your conversation and kids can learn that just like they learn anything else in life. Um, one piece at a time. Yeah. It's, um, that's beautiful. Uh, do you, the, a, a strange um, parallel analogy came yeah. to me as, as I was listening to you with that. Um, do you know why people shake hands no so it, it it it's to show that you haven't got a sword or a mm. 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 to say i'm safe you're safe yeah so it, it, it's a kind of strange analogy that, that, mm. that, but to me exactly this it, it's like it it's open mm. and when i give you my hand it might to, to shake my hand is open not closed it's not it's not a, it's not a fist I'm not gonna you know like when we put our um yeah when we go out to shake somebody's hand the, the hand is open it, it's open we're open the box of the lid of the box is open there's nothing that um it's not a dark secret mm -hmm. that's padlocked away absolutely in uh you know with chains mm -hmm. and uh, big padlock it's it's open and yeah. it's honest mm -hmm. and, exactly. it's, and it's the foundation of our communication and 
open isn't openness and honesty the foundation of all relationships and all communication you know so all good this relationships is, this is big stuff um so the the toy box analogy is uh you know you touched on it as you were explaining the the analogy mm-hmm. perhaps a great lead into the age appropriate mm-hmm. so is there anything more that you have to share in terms of age appropriateness yeah so another i'm i love quotes so louisa may alcott said that you know if a child is old enough to ask a question they're old enough for an honest answer because you're not putting the idea there you're responding to what's already there and so i paraphrase that end because i don't have it in front of me but this idea of following a child's curiosity And when I train parents, I say, I always, but clarify what the question is first, because sometimes kids ask questions and you're like, is that really what you're asking or is it farther upstream? So let's say for an example, if a five-year-old comes home and, you know, they're asking you about pornography, I, as a parent, you know, this comes up because they hear it at school, I wouldn't launch into a fully fleshed out answer around pornography because they're five, right? So my response as a parent to that question or really any question is to say, what do you know about that? Can you tell me more about where you heard that word? What does that mean to you? And this works with kids and when they're asking about their their origin story too. If they say, oh, you know, what was, is my birth mom dead? Okay. Is a question I hear parents get asked a lot, especially if there hasn't been openness is to back up and say, what makes you think she might be, you know, cause clearly you've been thinking about this. So what, what makes you think she might be? And then answering the question, yes or no, or, you know, wherever it is, but to clarify what the true question is first um, and then starting from there. So that five-year-old asking about pornography, he might say, oh, well, I heard it at school. Okay, and you could say, well, it's a really adult thing that you know, you'll find out when you're older, if you have more questions, I'm here if you wanna talk about it. Or you could see it, you know, it's, it's movies of people doing adult things. That's all he's gonna, to need to know and so if you launch into a fully <laughs> pledged explanation of any child's questions you can go off track pretty quick but age appropriately what question do they really want to know and then answering that so um you know my daughter processing her story has had a lot of questions lately about relationships and dating because she's 10. And so she's starting to explore that world. And she'll ask me about her, her birth parents. And every time she asks me a question, I'm like, okay, is this what you're asking? You know, were they in a relationship is her most recent one. And I was like, okay, well, what does a relationship mean to you? What does it look like when you're in a relationship? And then she told me her 10 year old explanation. And then I could answer that. Yep. Yep. They were in that. That's what that was. Or no, they were not. And so, yeah, helping kids clarify their questions. And again, if you've got that open box and they're pulling out a toy from something you've already discussed from their story, um, it's responding to that and not saying, oh, wait, let me dig down to the bottom of this and let's talk about sex and reproduction. Okay. That's not the question being asked. Okay, so you have to like answer the question that's being asked, and most kids are great with a short, quick, honest answer. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I get the feeling that uh, 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 you're you're talking about this because there is a tendency for adoptive parents to rush in to answer. Mm-hmm. And give too much information rather than yeah. rather than gauge gauge it and, and just take a step back as you say and clarify what's being questioned yeah it, i think is that what parents, you mean yeah well they tend to do what any of us do under pressure you know humans 
is fight, flight, or freeze. So it's either going to be like, oh my gosh, we don't talk about that here. We're we're no, you know, we're a, I always say a Scandinavian family. Like we don't talk about things like birds and the bees here. Or you ignore it. You know, you pretend you, you didn't hear the question if it's a question you don't want to answer, or you go into it too far. And so I think parents need to be equipped to take it one step at a time without feeling defensive or vulnerable or, you know, intimidated that they're going to choose, choose their birth family over you, or they're going to be wounded by too much information. It's like, you have to follow their lead and take it one step at a time and not go faster than your kid is going and not going slower than your kid is going, like not falling back into secrecy and not giving the 20 year old answer to a five year old question. Okay. So um, what I'm going to jump in here with is, is because I, I do this myself, right? And so I, mm-hmm. I do it myself. So I, I, I try to, I kind of overthink ahead mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. So I, as I'm, you know, well, the how, you know, it's with the how and everybody's like, you, you I spend a lot of time trying to solve theoretical problems. Right. Mm-hmm. What what we're talking about here is just some pointers. And you, dear listener, you know your kiddo best. Mm-hmm. And your wisdom will help you address these questions as and when in an appropriate way. What I think what Elisa's saying is uh and it goes into the sense, I think it probably, it goes into that sensitivity piece is we're talking about being sensitive, meeting your child where they're at, uh, giving them a question, giving them an answer at, at an appropriate level for the question that's being asked. And, and, and Elisa's, tactic on this which i think is really great is a a a question about their question to allow us to gauge and and to gauge where the child's question is really coming from what the child is really asking rather than leaping straight in with an answer it's a simple yeah well what do you mean about that and and i and as you as you um as you were thinking, talking about that, I thought about uh, a, a session I had with my um, my mentor, my coach this this week, no, last week. And she said, so what are we going to talk about? So I talked about this. And she said, well, what is it that you're learning, Simon? So rather than me going straight to her saying, so what do you think? Mm. Um, what do you think, uh, um, Claire? And she she said, well, what what is it that you're saying, Simon? Mm. So that she could gauge how um, my thinking and my feeling and and my where I was had moved on since the kind of like the insight that I'd had. Mm. And so she was being rather than rushing in with straight with her thoughts, she was Mm. gauging to see what I had learned myself because what we learn ourselves is far more powerful. Um, yeah, I, I wrote a, something about this today. Insight trumps information. Mm, mm. So what what we see for ourselves is far more powerful one, than what other people tell us. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything in there that you could flesh out does that well first off does that kind of make sense it does I think what I was thinking about when you were sharing that was just this as adoptive parents it's kind of unfair because we're not trained as therapists or social workers but it's kind of the role we have to play at times is helping our kids understand these complex things and complex emotions Um, but it's really about yeah, trying to take our child's perspective 
on their story and their understanding and their questions. And it's just taking it, you know, one day at a time with them. Um, I think a lot of adoptive parents, because we're not, many are not trained as therapists or social workers, really say, oh, any conversation about their history has to happen in a therapist's office. Oh, they mentioned birth mom. I got to call a therapist. I got to get them in to see a specialist. Um, and just saying that you as their parent really are a specialist and you know them best, like you were saying, and you have so much information to share about their early life often. Um, that is a lot of kids' questions, especially if you have had them since they were little. Like my daughter asks all the time, like, what was my first word? When did I start walking? Um, who was my friends? Where did I live when I was two? I can answer all of that as her parenting parent. I have all that information and all of that is as much a part of this grounding knowledge that people have about their history as the origin stuff is. Um, and so it depends on how long you've been parenting your child to how much information you have and how much you're sharing secondhand. Um, but just having those conversations about when they were little is, is the same grounding work. And so if there's things that you don't know about their history, it's okay to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I know that it's important to you. And so let's, let's investigate together how we can find that information, or it's okay to just be sad together and say, I wish I had more information. I, we, if you have a closed adoption or if your child was found somewhere, you're not going to have that same level of information to, to impart or to share or to answer questions, but you can still be a safe presence to be like, I don't know. And I wish I did because I wish you could know. <laughs> and to be that and kind of separating our experience as parents from our child's experience and yet meeting in the middle and walking that road together. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned the, the stuff that you don't know just then, because uh, after I made some comment 45 minutes ago, as soon as I shut up, I realized I hadn't addressed that. So mm -hmm. um, I'm really glad that you, you did that because I, uh, I didn't. And I, I guess the other thing that, um, that I'd, I'd like to say at this point is that obviously listeners, Elisa knows this stuff inside out. That, that's what she's here for. Um, we're, we're here to explore her um, knowledge and for her to share her knowledge. So as always in the show notes, there are links to, to the guests. So check out the show notes. And if you need some uh, support in this, if you've got any questions on this and follow-up questions, then I'm sure Elisa would be happy to chat. chat, chat sure. With you. And on um, my website, Simon, I've got a whole uh, blog post about free life book resources. So if you as a parent are like, I don't know where to start, but I want to start doing some of this, there's a ton of free resources. Like there's not, not put together by me, but put together by, by other people to say, how do we how do we open that door to have conversations? Some great fill in the blank formats for life books, a lot of resources. And so there's the information is out there. So if this is hitting you and you're like, I want to be more open about my child's past, I want to, to share some of these things, definitely check that out. And then I do have a two hour training that I do for foster and adoptive parents too, that kind of goes into all of this. Not only how do you put a a book of some sort together, but how do you have all the conversations that come out of sharing that book and opening the child's story? How do you respond after? Because I think there is this tendency for life books and life story work in the UK to be like something for the child that's done by the child. But we know as parents, anything that's knocking around in our kids' brains is gonna come out in conversation or behavior. And so we need to be on that journey with them. And so tons of resources on the website and lots of just great stuff out there if you Google life story work or life books 
for foster and adoptive youth. There's specific ones, no, no matter what your kid's story is, there's a specific lifebook resource out there, um, which I really love that it really empowers you to, to take, take the reins and run with it, however, however you will. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Anything that I've not asked, a question that I've not uh, asked you'd like to answer? No, I just think this, this whole conversation is so important. And again, just the importance of having the conversation around stories and decreasing secrecy and making it be an, an okay conversation, not only to have with your own kids, but to have with professionals and across the board. I think as adoptive parents, one message we have gotten very clearly is that your child's story is private and it's theirs, which is fantastic advice, but it makes it really hard as a parent when your six-year-old is asking you a question and you've never said some of the hard things out loud. So I would recommend if you're like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming and I don't know how I would do this, is take this idea to your therapist or to a social worker if you have one in your child's case and say, can I practice with you? How would I answer a question around this piece of their history? Some adoptive parents, you know, haven't had the conversation to say, you are adopted. Like maybe that's their starting point. And how, how would you have that conversation is, is a whole conversation all in itself to say, how would you recommend doing that? Maybe you're, as a parent, is like, how am I going to share this really hard piece of my kid's history? I tear up every time I think about it. I can't even understand how or why this happened. How in the world am I going to share it with my kid? Um, that's, that's why there's therapists for us as adults and as parents is to say, you need to find safe people to practice with so that you can maintain the security of your child's story but make sure it's not a secret, especially not from them. Um, because we know a lot of times if kids are talking to you about their story and you clam up and your shoulders tense up and you're like, I don't know how to have this conversation, they're gonna feel that and probably not be asking you a whole lot more questions for a while. Um, so practice, find safe people to Say, I don't know how to do this. I wasn't trained how to do this, but it's important for my child. So I'm gonna, gonna practice. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna share a little bit about, you know, I said I didn't know anything about my story, but how my mum and dad told me was with mm. a storybook of another, mm. of a couple that mm. um, fell in love, got married and, and adopted a child to uh, or, or children um and this is you know way back in the 1960s this book mm -hmm. it's called mr fairweather and his family it's out of print fortunately last time i looked on amazon but um what that did was it made it normal it wasn't just me it, my you know i wasn't i wasn't a weirdo right right this this had happened to somebody else and you know they've written a book about it so it, it just it made it, it it made it it normal and that's mm -hmm. what we want mm -hmm. we yeah. all want to feel normal and we have to make it normal to talk about this stuff because if, if we if it's abnormal then it's going to be scary and there's going to be secrets and there's going to be shame and 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 it's a continuum, you know. I I do laugh when I listen to a lot of podcasts where they they say, "Oh, this or that," and I go, "No, it's a continuum. It's not." Mm -hmm. I, I wish I could find a less posh word than continuum for continuum, um, well, <laughs> you know. But it, it, everybody says, "Well, if you do this, mm -hmm. the the alternative is this or this." Well, it's not. It's de it's degrees of, isn't it? It's degrees of. Right. It's degrees of openness. It's degrees of sensitivity. You know, people, everybody makes, tries to make it simple. All right. So you can either tell your child in an insensitive way, or you can tell your child in a sensitive way. Mm. You know, and it's not like that. It, it is, it is uh, degrees of. So, um, because what happens is, we say, well, I don't know how, how am I going to do it in a sensitive way? 
mm-hmm. well, you're going to do it as best you can um, and, uh, and you're going to get the support. And you're still listening to this podcast an hour in. So you're like, yeah, hats off to you, listeners. You know, you are, I do, I say this a lot, um, but because I mean it, you, you are really curious, adopted parents. You are really curious and you're really proactive. And, you know, how do you do stuff? By finding stuff out, by listening to experts like Elisa talking about the power of story and, 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 and picking up what you can do from, from them and following the guidance that they give. And, and you're doing it already. Not, you don't need to do anything new. They're already listening to the podcast. You're one of the good guys good good girls listeners so thanks. and just to know that even if you do mess up it's okay to say i'm sorry like i shared too much or not enough and here's a little bit more here you know we're gonna put that in a box and we're gonna save it for when you're older there's always a repair that can happen because we're all learning we're all growing um so yeah absolutely it's it's one day at a time yeah thanks a lot alisa and uh uh, listeners, again, check uh, check out what she's doing on our website, and we will speak to you all again very soon. It's been uh, been fascinating. Really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot for, for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye, listeners. Bye.